Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning and you would uh, open them or turn them on to Second uh, Samuel, the eighth chapter, as we are continuing to go verse by verse uh, through this book. And uh, to be honest with you, I had planned to not be here today uh, with all that's going on in the world and uh, everything. I thought, you know what? It's, it'd be nice to have a Sunday where you wouldn't have to worry about people being unhappy with you all week with all that's going on. And so I talked to Brian, and Brian said he would be more than happy to. I said, well, I just got to find someone to fill in Sunday night, and I'm, I'm cutting and running. And, uh, and uh, the individual that was going to preach Sunday night was preaching somewhere else. And so uh, after all week thinking, well, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Uh, it was like the Lord said, hey, why don't you just man up and do it? And so here I stand this morning, and uh, I want to thank uh, Brian for being willing to do that. And so he's got one ready to go. Uh, when I need to get out of town again. Uh, but what comes next is the title of the sermon this morning. What comes next? And I think that's a question that all of us ask in lots of different areas of our life. I think that through your life, uh, as you grow up, you start out going uh, to school, and then at some point you go from the sixth grade to the seventh grade, and for some of you that are big town people, you don't understand the seriousness of it, but if you were like me and you were uh, went to Dahlgren, uh, the small, simple world of Dahlgren coming down here with all these kids was a terrifying thought, which that's not saying much because I was too scared to go to kindergarten by myself, all right? So I'm not the, the baseline for change here, but and then you finally felt like that was successful, then you moved up. Uh, to high school, what what is that going to be like? And then you finally figure out those four years at somewhat of an awkward situation. You graduate, and then what comes next? Do you work? Do you to go to school? Do you, what what comes next in your life? Then, as you graduate college, you ask yourself, well, where do I want to work, and who do I want to work for, and where do I want to live? And then you're usually asking yourself the question of, uh, am, who am I going to marry, and when are we going to have kids? And this question just is throughout your entire life, what comes next? Sometimes that's in the positive. Sometimes you think, I just can't wait for what comes next. But there are other times in life when you think, oh, what comes next? as the problems of life begin to add up, right? You've probably heard the old saying that tragedy comes in threes. Families deal with losses in multiple stages. And so this morning, I have no idea where you're at. You might be in that point where you're saying, Jake, I'm worried about retirement, and I'm, I'm worried about feeling, feeling uh, insignificant, or, or I'm worried about what am I going to do, or what I found out from retired people is you seem to be more busy than you were when you were working, but that's a whole other story. But there's fear that comes from all of us. Maybe your kids are, are growing up on you and you're saying, what comes next? What, what am I going to do with a teenager? What, what am I going to do with, after my kids have this problem? Maybe you're here today and you're watching your family go through difficulty. Maybe your kids are going through a bitter divorce. Maybe someone in your family is fighting cancer. And so that what comes next question is really overwhelming you. Maybe today you're thinking about that as a church. What comes next? This very week, uh, we broke ground on the addition to the gym. And so what comes next for us as a church in a world that seems to be hating the things of God? What comes next for us as a nation when the country is tearing itself apart because of what nine individuals voted? 
The question is, what comes next? And in David's life, where we're at this morning, and why I really felt like I really needed to be here, even though I didn't want to be, to be honest with you, is because David is a what comes next point of his life. He's been established. He's been thankful. If you remember last week, he was thanking God for his blessings. He was thanking God for his goodness. He was thanking God for establishing him. He had finally arrived in this this heart of thanksgiving. But if you know anything about life, which most of you have lived long enough to know, that it never stands still. You can celebrate the victories of today, but tomorrow comes. And tomorrow has its own blessings, its own problems, its own challenges. And the Lord tells us, don't worry about tomorrow, for it has enough troubles of its own. But what happens when tomorrow comes? What happens when you are there thinking, what comes next? And so if you would, pray with me, and then we're going to go verse by verse through God's Word. Father, this morning I come to you not knowing, Lord, what is going on in everyone's heart and minds today. God, I don't. I don't know those that feel blessed or those that feel discouraged. God, I just know that you're faithful. And so, Lord, I pray today that the preaching of your word would be true to you and you alone. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would soften those hearts that are hard, that would draw those hearts that are running from you. God, that that you would encourage those that are ready to quit. Father, I pray today that you would be glorified from your word, Lord, knowing where we would be, when we would be here, and what we would be facing. And so, Father, today I just ask that you would guide everything that is said and done. And God, that you would get all of the glory for everything that is said and done here this morning. And Lord, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you three things about how to deal with what comes next this morning. The first is this. There are no enemies stronger than God. There are no enemies stronger than God because what comes next is usually a challenge. It's usually an obstacle. Even if it's a victory, most victories don't come easy. They require work and effort and faithfulness and dedication. You say, well, Jake, we've celebrated 50 years of marriage this year. Well, was it 50 enjoyable marriages, years of marriage, or did you just stay together because prison sounds less appealing. As one person told me on their 50th wedding anniversary, and I know this was a joke, but I would already be getting out now if I had just ended it early. I'm not sure what that means, but hey, that's the way it goes. But yet it takes work, takes effort. It's like children. Children are a gift from the Lord. But if you do not put the effort and work into raising them, it will be years of heartache and pain. And so let's see here this morning in Psalm, 2 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 1, what came next for David. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Metheg Ammon from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured off those to be put to death. And with one full line, those who kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. David also defeated Habadezer, the son of Rahab, the king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river of Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadaz, 
king of Zobab, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus. And the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And David took shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadadezar and brought them to Jerusalem. Also from Betah and from Berataiah, cities of Hadezer. King David took a large amount of bronze. When Toai, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, then Toai sent Joram, the son of King David, to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toai, and Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. I know you're thinking one of two things right now. One, you're thinking, I am glad that he read that and not me. And the second, are any of those pronounced correctly? Probably not. But what we see here is an interesting situation. Because if you're familiar with how the Word of God is written in this context, most likely it is written at the at the end of David's life. It is written partially uh, by Samuel, partially by Nathan. Uh, some of it carries on after David's life. And so it's put together. And so some of these victories are victories that David had won. Some of these are victories that David would win. Some of these are victories that he is winning. And so there's really a big disagreement about this. But what we see here is the significance of all of these nations. Even though you can't pronounce them, you might not know where they're at on a map. If you were to look at Israel in the time of David, what you would see is the nations that are listed are the nations to the south, to the east, and to the north, all the way to the coast. What happens is God begins to expand the borders of Israel in every direction. You say, what is the significance of that? This is the significance of it. There is not an enemy that God cannot defeat. There is not an area that God cannot overcome. And so whatever you're facing today, whatever struggle that you have, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's with your children, whether it's in your health, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in a sin that you just cannot overcome, this text shows us that when God chooses to bless and God chooses to work, there is no area that God cannot do something amazing in. And so this morning, you need to step back and say, whatever area of my life that is defeating me and discouraging me and overcoming me, I need to believe that God can overcome it. That God can expand it. That God can defeat it. And so the significance of this is not just that David won battles, but that God was able to defeat anyone that he wanted. And friends, we need to get back to believing that God is able. That God is able to overcome the enemies that we face. Whether internally or externally. I want to just address a couple things here. And I don't know if we'll get through the whole sermon today or not. But if we don't, that's okay. There are some things in these verses that really bother people. And this morning I'm going to address them because when you go verse by verse, you cannot skip anything. What we see here is that David begins to attack not just nations because he wants a bigger kingdom. David is not a territorial warlord here. He's not fighting over the fact that I need this piece of land to feed my people. He's not trying to defeat his enemies like you would see in the Middle East today. These were nations that had hated Israel, that had used every opportunity 
to try to destroy Israel, to try to bring them into captivity. They're nations that God said they are pagans. And if you do not deal with them, they will lead your heart astray. They will be the nations that will corrupt you and destroy you from the inside out. And so this is not just David hated the Moabites or David hated the Philistines. These were people that hated them and wanted to destroy them. And God says they must be dealt with. And friends, this morning I want you to know something. Friends, you are to love the world, but you are not to be close to the world. You're to be in the world, but not of the world. The world wants to destroy your marriage. The world wants to destroy your children. The world wants to corrupt everything about what God is doing in your life. And so you must love the lost, care about the lost, pray for the lost, try to love the lost. But look here, that's why the Bible says do not be unequally yoked. Because friends, it will destroy you. And so what we see here is David begins to defeat his enemies. There in verse 2, this is a verse that people really struggle with. David made the enemy soldiers literally line up. And he would kill two, leave one alive. Kill two, live one alive. And you say, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. Or depending on what your, the measurements equate to, maybe three. You say, how is that possible? Why is that possible? Because the Bible teaches there are some sins that the death penalty is allowed. Now, I know what you're saying. If you're here today and, 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 and you're a bleeding heart liberal, you say, Jake, the Bible doesn't teach that. It does. There is a time and a place for order and law and punishment. How many of you ever went to Ren Lake College when the police officer sat in the little town just right over here? What town was that? Ua. You knew that when you went to Ren Lake, when you got close to Ewing, that you should slow down. Because for some reason, the city limits in that little town is 38 miles long. You start at the arm of the Mennonite church, and it's the city limit, seems like. You get all the way to the college, you're in the city limits. But because of the threat of punishment, it caused most people to what? Slow down. You say you shouldn't live in fear. You shouldn't fear God. No, but God puts guardrails up to keep people from doing the things that sometimes their heart would lead them astray. That's why the punishment for stealing a pack of gum is different than stealing from the federal government. That's why the punishment for certain crimes is different than the others. Because God knows the human mind. And God knows the human heart. And if there are no punishments for crime, and there are no punishments for breaking of the law, it encourages them to break the law more. Same thing about parenting. Now this is going to upset some of you. This is why I didn't want to be here this morning, but the Lord wouldn't let me skip. Trust me, I was fine in Branson doing nothing but eating too much and getting fat, alright? That's why the Bible says, if you love your children... You will discipline them. You will correct them. You say, Jake, I don't believe that. That's all right. You can raise heathens if you want to. And the rest of the world will have to pay for it. But God knows that a young mind, a young person needs to be shaped not by getting what they want all the time, but by understanding that they are loved, but also not in charge. Why? Because consequences have 
uh, effect on the brain. Now, can that be misused? Absolutely. You and I know people that have been abused and mistreated and taken advantage of and kids that were warped by parents that didn't love God and care about God. And that's just as wrong as no discipline at all. But this morning, you and I need to know something. David was doing two things here. He was punishing the Moabites for what they had done to the children of Israel. But two, he was removing the threat from their military. He was showing them that you can't march back. Because I don't know if you know this or not. They would have all said, we'll never fight you again. And they'd have went home and done what? Regrouped and came back. And so this morning, it's not our job to judge. It's not our job to, 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 to judge the lost of this world. But friends, when God establishes government, and God establishes authority, and God establishes a hierarchy, it is for a reason. And this morning, if you want to know what is wrong in America today, it is because we have become authority-hating people. We hate authority in the home. We hate authority in our marriages. We hate authority in every aspect of our life. But yet the Bible says that God establishes authority. And so we see here, though, that David has done this. And it goes on, and there's a lot there. And, and one other verse that I want to call to your attention there in verse 4 is that D David hamstrung the chariot horses. You say, why would David do this to all these horses? Well, for two reasons. One, Israel is not conducive to fight on horseback. It's, it's a hilly area. It's a, and so for David, strategically, it removed the threat of the enemy. But two, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that a king of Israel should not accumulate horses. You say, what's God got against horses? No, 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 no. It is because armies used horses as the answer to all their problems. If you had a great cavalry, if you had a great amount of chariots, you could defeat enemy, any enemy that you faced. And God says, I don't want you trusting in the things of this world. I don't want you putting all your hope and faith in the weapons of this world. I want you to trust me. And friends, the same is true today. Whatever you're trying to trust in, whether it's your bank account, whether it's your family relationships, whether it's your job, whether it's your, your reputation, God says, none of that's enough. Trust Him. This morning, I pray that you will come to a point in your life where you know that God is for you. That God will fight for you. That God will be with you. That people will fail you. I will fail you. This church will fail you. The people you live with will fail you. Everyone falters because we're all sinners. But listen to what King David wrote in Psalms 118, talking about who God is and what God had done for him. And I pray that you'll think about these verses in your own life, starting in Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say His mercy endures forever. You say, yes, Jake, I've heard that. But listen to the why behind the words. In verse 4, <clears throat> It said, let those fear the Lord now say His mercy endures forever. In verse 5, I called on the Lord in distress 
And the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. And don't miss these six words. What can man do to me? David says, God's mercy. God is merciful. God is merciful. God is faithful. God is good. And then he begins to think, well, I wonder if they know the why. And he says, when I was hopeless, I cried out to God and he heard me. And he didn't just hear me. He lifted me up. And he says these words, these six words that unless this church, that unless you as a family, unless me as an individual start to learn, we will never be who God wants us to be. What can man do to me? Friends, it doesn't matter if they burn down your house. It doesn't matter if they burn down your business. It doesn't matter if they march through the streets. It doesn't matter if they unfriend you on Facebook. It doesn't matter if they never speak to you in public again. You have to trust the Lord. You have to follow Him. You have to stand for Him. You have to do what He's called us to do regardless of the cost. Had a conversation this week and uh, it, it got permission to use it. Someone said, Jake, I'm really struggling with all that's going on in the world. I said, you and everybody else. They said, Jake, I agree with you. I agree with your sermons. I know what the Bible says. I know what I believe. But this belief and what God has said, especially in regards to the political climate of today, has got some of my own children not wanting to speak to me. My own grandchildren do not want to speak to me. What am I supposed to do? I love them. I would love to have a relationship with them. I can disagree with them and love them. But what am I supposed to do when the people I love the most want nothing to do with me because of the belief in God and His Word. Friends, that's the hardest question that you'll ever ask. Is what happens when the people you love the most hurt you the most? Or want nothing to do with you the most? And you're saying, well, Jake, that's not me. My whole family's Christian. My whole family's pro-life. My whole family thinks the same way I do. That might be what they tell you, but it must be because you have a big inheritance in line for them. Because all of us have someone in our family that's thinking this very same thing. And this morning, I promise you, there are people on these chairs that are facing possibly the same things. The only advice I can give you comes from God's Word. What can man do to me? Trust Him. Believe Him. Rely on Him. Follow Him. And trust that God has a purpose and a plan that you don't see today but He has a purpose and a plan. Second thing I want to show you this morning, we should dedicate our lives and victories to Him. We need to know that the enemies are not stronger than God, but we should dedicate our lives and victories to Him. Look what it says here in verses 11 through 14. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, also with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued from Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoils of Hadadazar, the king of Rahab, the king of Zobah. And David himself made it himself made himself a name when he returned from the killing of 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. 
He also put garrisons in Edom. Through all Edom he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servant. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Don't miss this. David had accumulated all this wealth from defeating his enemies. Literally, these kings and and military commanders would have had to take gold and silver with them to pay for supplies and to pay for different things. And David accumulates all of this. And in this moment, David shows us his heart. Because most of us, like King Saul, we saw earlier, said, you know what, I know God said to get rid of all of it, but if I just keep a little bit of it. Remember, King Saul was, came to his men and they said, well, can't we just keep the best stuff? We'll get rid of all the other stuff. We know God said get rid of all of it, but if we just keep the best of the best, just a little bit for our efforts, that'll be fine. Saul lets them. And if you remember, in that moment, God tells them, it's not your kingdom anymore. Just very quickly after all of that. And David does something that I hope that you will realize is so important. He dedicates it all to God. He says, Lord, you're, you're the victor. You're the one that battle. Everything I have is because of you. And so here it is. You say, well, Jake, what are you saying? We're supposed to bring all that we have and just donate it to the church. I did not say that. I am not a TV preacher, all right? I am not going to tell you that. But you should realize that your life and your blessings all come from God. And they are all His. And God wants you to live your life and the talents that you have and everything that He blesses you with for His glory. And so you should be willing to say, God, whatever I have is yours. God, if you want me to go be a missionary, I'll go. God, if you want me to serve you as an underwater basket weaver teacher, I'll do it. God, if you want me to preach, I'll do it. God, if you want me to teach Sunday school, I'll do it. God, if you want me to change diapers in the nursery, I'll do it. Lord, whatever you want from me, here I am. Everything I have is yours. You say, well, Jake, I just don't agree with that. Well, that's okay. I'd love to show you what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I want to just stop there for a second because the reason that most of us do not follow God completely ends up being in our mind. It ends up being the way we think. Well, I love God, but I don't love what God says about marriage. I love God, but I don't love what God says about the sanctity of human life. I love God, but I don't love what God says about where I should be on Sundays. I love God, but I don't care about what He says about how I should love my spouse. You see, that's why when you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, He makes you brand new. But the flesh is still there. The temptations are still there. The old man is still fighting even though he's dead. And so there is this battle that constantly goes on. And what you have to say is, God, I am yours My mind is yours, my heart is yours, my life is yours, my money is yours, my talent is yours. That's why Jesus said you have to love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what I see in the church today is a desire not to do that. God, I want to go to heaven. 
And God, I want your blessings, but I still want a little bit of my life. God I, God, I want you to bless my kids. I want you to bless my family. God, I want you to bless me. But God, I just want you to bless me enough where it doesn't cost me anything. And friends, Jesus talked about that to a church in the book of Revelation. About wanting to be lukewarm. God says be hot or cold. But to that church that is lukewarm, He will spit them out of His mouth. And that is the cleaner version than vomit. And friends, this morning, that's the challenge that this church has been given. What kind of church will it be? What kind of home will you have? Are you going to live lives that are dedicated to God and follow Him wherever He sends you? Or will you do the alternative? Third and final thing, and this is the quickest point that I have. God blesses us so that we can bless others. Now don't miss this. There's not an enemy that God cannot defeat. And after God defeats those enemies, we're to dedicate ourselves to Him. But friends, don't become so heavenly minded that you become earthly useless. And don't become so earthly useless that you forget the heavenly purpose. God blesses us so that we can bless others. Look what it says in verse 15. Not skipping any verses. So if you don't like it, take it up with the author. So David reigned over all Israel. And David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilu, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Amalek, the son of Abathar, were the priest. Sariah was the scribe. Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Cherites and the Pelatites. And David's sons were chief Ministers, two quick things I want you to see here in verse 15. And David administered judgment and justice to all his people. In this point, David could have said, you know what, I'm going to remember the people that got me here. I'm going to remember the people who were with me through it all. I'm going to reward them. I'm going to elevate them. I'm going to strengthen them. I'm going to favor them. But the Bible says that's not what happened. David administered justice and judgment to all. What this meant was, when David's closest friends broke the law, they were punished. When the poorest of people who had no right and no ability to fight their own cause, David showed mercy and justice to them. David became a person who was no respecter of persons, but did his best from a human standpoint. Not being God to evaluate situations, to evaluate what was going on, and made decisions that were right by God. And friends, this morning the Bible tells us that we are to show no partiality. This morning it does not matter if you give more money than anyone else in this church, or you've never given a dime. We're glad that God has sent you here. It doesn't matter if you are involved in every ministry that we have, or you are just trying to figure out where your place is. We are glad that you're here. It doesn't matter if you are a close friend to the pastor or the chairman of deacons, or you're still trying to find your first friend. We are glad that you are here. Why? Because God does not bless us to accumulate for ourselves. God does not bless us to elevate ourselves. God blesses us so that we can bless other people. God is good to us 
so that we can be good to other people. If God raises you up, it is not for you to be in a place of pride and judgment, but it is a place of help and mercy and grace. I'm going to make a statement this morning, and this is probably where it's going to go the worst. Joab is mentioned here as a political leader of the day. You know anything about Joab? Joab was a spiteful murderer. He literally had murdered a man in cold blood. And on David's deathbed, he says, Joab's got to be put to death for what he's done. But because he was a strong military commander, God had a purpose and plan for him. And I want you to hear this this morning. God can use people even when they're not perfect. Pastors have a strict qualification for their moral standing. Right? The Bible says I'm to be the husband of one wife. To have my household in order. And, and that's a hard thing to do. And some days I feel like I fail and you should find someone else. It says I'm to be hospitable. It says I'm supposed to be all of these qualifications. And you should hold your pastor to them. The deacons are given a list of qualifications that they are to be lived up to and to be held accountable to. And you ought to hold them to that. But sometimes God used political leaders that don't have the same moral compass that you do to accomplish His purposes. And that's what it says here. Joab was serving even though he wasn't perfect. But God had a purpose and a plan for him. And this morning, I don't know what is next for America. I have no idea if it is going to tear itself apart. I have no idea if they're going to march into churches and burn. I don't know what they're going to do. But what I can tell you today is that God has people where He wants them to be for His purposes. And it is no accident that the decisions and things that are being done in our country today that people who hate God disagree with that God has lifted up. Why? Because God uses imperfect people to accomplish His purposes and plans. And so this morning when you look around and you think, well, why is that person? How did they? What's going on there? Know that God has a purpose and a plan. And friends, if God so chooses to bless you, use it to bless other people. And so this morning I just want to challenge you that I don't know what comes next for you, for your family. Maybe from a spiritual standpoint, maybe you're here today and you've been saved recently, but you've never told a soul. You need to be baptized and follow the Lord in obedience. That's your next step. Maybe you're here today and you are a believer. Born again, faithful, committed, and you've been attending this church. And what comes next is for you to take a bigger role and play a part in what God has here. Maybe it's what's going on in your family. What comes next? But this morning, whatever faces you tomorrow, whatever faces you when you leave here, trust Him. You see, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as He was praying, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it. But He said, if it's Your will. And so this morning, know that God is with you. Know that God has a purpose and a plan for you. And know that Jesus Christ, even though it made no sense to the world, it made no sense to the Roman government, it made no sense to His disciples, willingly went to the cross. And it made no sense to everyone around as He was being spit upon and tortured and beaten. It made no sense to anyone. 
But yet He went to the cross. It made no sense to all those who were standing and watching. It made no sense because they fled. They abandoned Him. But yet as He hung there between heaven and earth, what made no sense to them was perfectly what God had in plan. To take away your sin and mine. When He took Him off the cross to the world, it made no sense. There's a dead man going into a tomb. But friends, God knew that Sunday was coming. And so when you don't understand what is going on, trust that God has a plan. When it seems like it can't get any worse, trust that God has a plan. When you think Jacob couldn't get any better, trust that God has a plan. But friends, most importantly this morning, what comes next is if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God wants you to be saved. God wants you to experience forgiveness, hope, and joy and a relationship with Him that will change everything. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. And God, You know that uh, I'm a sinful man with my own thoughts and opinions and feelings. And God, today I just pray that the people listening to this sermon, God, have heard Your Word, not mine. Verse by verse, word by word, God, the things we like and the things we don't like. And so this morning, God, I just pray that you would help us to not harden our hearts, but to soften and submit to you. God, I pray today that you would speak to those that are lost in this place. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only he can do to convict them. Right now, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit is drawing and working in the hearts and lives of those that don't know you. Father, I pray this morning that for those that know you, God, but have been living a double life, God, that today would be the day that your spirit would convict them and deal with them and show them that they need to give you everything. Father, maybe today it's those that are hurting and struggling. Or God, maybe today it's that person that's never been more blessed and they just need to come thank you for what you're doing and what comes next. God, give us the honesty as a church to cry out to you in our distress, knowing that you will hear from heaven and answer. And God, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.